Children's Church and take your directions to the screen. Refuge is a safe place. Refuge is a safe place. Refuge is a safe place for all people. For all people. For all people to explore and restore. To explore and restore. To restore and explore. To explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus. And his church. Huh? And his church. And his church.
this church, Anna. <laughs> Welcome again. My name is Brian Culbertson. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. As a church, we've been walking through the Old Testament story in the book of Ruth. I've been saying we're going episode by episode because we're just kind of referring to each chapter as an episode because that's kind of what it feels like. And so if you remember two weeks ago, episode one, it was Ruth and Naomi, and Naomi is having a hard way to go. It's a very difficult, bitter, struggling time for her, and Ruth just decides to sit in the suck with Naomi. Episode two last week, Ruth, then her faith becomes active as she seeks God and goes out into these fields, more than words, more than good ideas, she went out into the open field, and in that open field, she found a safe person in Boaz. If you missed either of those two messages, you can find them on our website or on your favorite podcasting app. Just search Refuge Church Fort Myers, and you can find that. Tonight, this week, it's what I call a very special episode. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you kind of know what that means, right? A very special episode. When they came on and said that, you knew it was going to be a controversial social issue. Of course, it would have the laugh track behind it to make it feel somewhat lighter. And so, if you remember, I just was kind of brainstorming some this week on the facts of life. They had a lot of special episodes. There was one, though, very difficult, Natalie. She was sexually assaulted. That was the first time a TV show had tackled that. On Full House, DJ Tanner, it's bikini season, and so she kind of becomes bulimic and anorexic, and that was the first time that had been tackled on a TV show. Family Ties. I don't know if anybody remembers. One time, Tom Hanks was on that as the uncle. And he was the drunk uncle that came home to see them, and he's a raging alcoholic, and they have to deal with that, which was a challenge on that show. And then perhaps my most favorite, uh, you can't, it's serious, but you can't help but laugh. It's Family Matters, you know Urkel, right? It's the episode Urkel gets drunk and falls off the roof. That's, I know, terrible, but it's also funny a little bit at the same time, and he does the Urkel dance at the end of it. You, you have to Google it, watch it, you'll be amazed. Last week, we ended chapter 2, verse 19. I said we're going through every verse, so I'm going to pick up there, verse 20. It says, May the Lord bless Boaz, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. That is some great foreshadowing for our final two weeks coming up after this week. Verse 21 says, Then Ruth said, What's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his heart until the end of harvest is completed. Verse 22, Naomi exclaimed, Good, do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. Ruth has found a safe place, a place to find food, a place to find water, a place with other safe people, a place to avoid harassment. A safe place like many of you have found here at Refuge. And so I'm calling tonight a very special episode because two years ago, kind of like in the story of Ruth, it just so happened that a family showed up looking for a safe place. They had been hurt by the church. They had been burned. They were unsure if they ever wanted to walk through the doors of a church. I had been affirming in my theology for a very long time but after the arrival of the Miller-Chapman family, and then Brandy uh, subsequently leading worship, it caused me to have to come out of my theological closet. So unless you've been hiding under a rock since that point two years ago, 
God has been blazing a new path in this church and bringing a lot of new people into this church, all because one family was willing to glean from our field, and you were willing to be a safe place. Condemnation of same-sex relationships has made the church an unsafe place for the LGBTQ community. They've become what I call church refugees, people who would love to be in the church, but they don't have a safe place. They don't have a home in the church. So I want to have a special episode tonight. I want to talk to two former church refugees who have found a safe place in this body. And while they make their way up, just to lay a foundation, I ask that you watch this. Well, I don't know if it's for me, but no one is gay. If you mean by that, that that's some hardwiring. Um, no one is gay. People commit adultery. They commit sins of homosexuality. They lie. They steal. They cheat. Um, that's like saying, you know, I, I keep robbing banks, but I'm a robber. But I think one of the really deadly aspects of this is to let people define themselves as gay. They are not gay any more than an adulterer is hardwired to, to be forced by his own nature to commit adultery. Those are, all sin, those are all behavioral sins that are condemned in Scripture. So I think we do no service to people who are caught in the vicious sins of homosexuality by letting them define themselves by that sin. So do I support uh, the idea of gay marriage? No, I don't. Do you think homosexuality is a sin? I think that it's, uh, it's, 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 it's unnatural. I think that it's, it's, it's detrimental and uh, ultimately destructive to so many uh, of the foundations of civilization. So what do you do if one of your six kids says, Dad, bad news, I'm gay? I'd sit down and I'd have a heart-to-heart with them, just like you would with your kids. I, I'd yeah, talk if, to I them said about if one of my sons said that, I'd say, that's great, son, as long as you're happy. What would you say? Well, I wouldn't say that's great, son, as long as you're happy. I'm going to say, uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of issues that we need to wrestle through in our life. And just because you feel one way doesn't mean we should act on everything that we feel. But and yet... I had a way, I figured a way out, a way to get rid of all the lesbians and queers, but I couldn't get it passed through Congress. <laughs> Build a great, big, large fence, 150 or 100 mile long, put all the lesbians in there, fly over and drop some food. Do the same thing with the queers and the homosexuals. And have that fence electrified till they can't get out. Feed them. And, and you know what? In a few years, they'll die out. Do you know why they can't reproduce? What does God say is the answer, is the solution for the homosexual in 2022, here in the New Testament, here in the book of Romans, that they are worthy of death? These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country should be charged with the crime, the abomination of homosexuality that they have. They should be convicted in a lawful trial. They should be sentenced with death. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That's what God teaches. That's what the Bible says. You don't like it, you don't like God's word.
Because that is what God says. What I tried to do there is just show the spectrum from one side that's, that's fairly conservative to the, the very far radical side of that, but and everything kind of in between there. These, this is David and Nicole. They are my two teaching partners here at Refuge. We're a teaching team of three. Uh, they're both openly gay. So I thought, well, what better place to start with a conversation than these two, because you're hearing them speak all the time and, and just wanted to have a very special episode tonight. So what emotions, when you guys see that, does that bring to the surface? Nauseous. <laughs> Nauseous. Makes me want to throw up. Anger. Yeah. <clears throat> You're yeah. right, I am louder than you. <laughs> I don't know why. I'll speak louder. So these guys both grew up in the church, and I thought maybe we would just talk with um, just your childhood. Just give us your, your basic background. I, I let uh, Nicole go first. Nicole, give me your, what's your basic background? Um, I was born into a ministry family. My parents were, my father was a Church of God minister until the time I was about 11. My mom was a worship leader for him and uh, grew up in that um, church and youth group and children's ministry. I started serving in ministry when I was 15 and haven't stopped since and uh, just been raised just like church every night, like real Pentecostal, like there's something going on every night and yeah. if it's going on, we're there. So... Yeah, I remember when I asked you your faith background, you're like very Pentecostal. Very Pentecostal. <laughs> Speaking in tongues. Yeah, the whole like, bit. whole bit. Waving hankies. Spitting dentures on the floor. Right here, in, right here in Southwest Florida, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, flags, you know. <laughs> uh, they don't, but um, uh, yeah, right here in Southwest Florida, yeah. David? Not that. Um, I was very Southern Baptist uh, growing up. I grew up in church my whole life. Um, the church I grew up in, my grandmother, 95-year-old, she still goes to that church. Um, I had a great childhood. Um, I'm the only boy. I have two sisters. I'm the middle child. Um, my parents provided for us. Uh, my dad was on the road a lot because he drove a truck. Um, so it was basically my mom raising uh three kids on her own. Uh, we didn't see my dad that much growing up, but like Nicole, I was in church every time the doors were open. Um, and then I got burned by the church whenever I was a teenager because my sister got pregnant when she was 16 and they kicked her out of the church. Um, that church that my grandmother still goes to, so I vowed not to go back to that church. And I didn't for two years, and I found another Southern Baptist church to where I started serving there in the ministry uh, whenever I was 17. Um, and like Nicole, I really haven't stopped since, I guess. So you both, I know we've talked, you've served in ministry basically since you were kind of middle or high schoolers, I guess. You just started serving with children or with the youth or in various ways. So did you feel that call to serve in ministry? Like how did, when in your childhood did you kind of feel that call? That you thought you would be, you want to be full-time ministry people? Uh, probably, like, really took it seriously when I was about 11 or 12, but, like, you know, I would baptize my brother and my sister in our swimming pool just for fun. So I've been in ministry since I was very young. You're like, I'm 13, and I've had 100 baptisms (laughs) already. And it goes on my resume every time. That's why we hired her, by the way. Now I know. I'm really good at dunking people underwater. But I would say 11 or 12, I felt like I wanted to be um, a youth pastor. 
And then when I was like 14, I went on a missions trip to Mexico and just really wanted to become a worship leader, but I didn't know how to play anything. So I went home and taught myself the guitar so that I could become a worship leader. So middle school and high school is... Yeah, that's crazy. <clears throat> she just came up. You, you had YouTube to learn from though, right? No. No? No, I, t- I had my guitar teacher. I took three lessons and he was missing half a finger. And I was like, you know what? I could probably do more on my own with all my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and de- so... I know you felt the call to ministry early, and then you, you jumped right in. So tell me, kind of, graduate high school, where, where's your career path going at this point? Uh, I graduated high school. I was 17 whenever I knew that God wanted me to be in the ministry. Um, so I started serving in the youth ministry at the time uh, at our church. And then I went off to college. And then while I was in college, I decided that I was going to go to seminary um, after college. So uh, while I was in seminary, um, we started a new church about 20-something years ago. Um, that's the church that my parents still go to uh, to, to this day. Um, and graduated seminary, and I started teaching at a very uh, fundamental uh, Christian, private Christian school. Um, I taught theology, and I taught uh, marriage and family, which was... <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit Well, later. that's a good transition. <laughs> So I just wrote this question, and I know it's like a point-blank question, but I don't know how else to be. So when did you know you were gay? I mean, when people ask me that question, I always say, ever since I can remember. Um, I mean, I could, you know, I, I did the stereotypical boy things, but I just, my mom always said, you have so many good, good little girlfriends. And I was like, yeah, I know, Mom. But I was always <laughs> awkward around the boys, and, I, and it was because... You know, I was like a girl around the boys, and I had crushes on them, and I just knew that, you know, growing up in church, and that was one thing that was being preached behind the pulpit like you just heard uh, all the time. I knew I had a relationship with God, but I was told that you can't be gay. All gay people go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell, um, so the older I got, I think, the more I just kept suppressing it further and further down. Um, And I think I just jumped into ministry even more to try to keep my mind off of that. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those things to where here I'm teaching marriage and family, and then I worked for the Baptist State Convention for 10 years. Um, I was on stage in front of 10,000 kids every summer for 10 years, and so I was known across the state by so many people in, in North Carolina. So I was like, had to push it even further down uh, because of the stance that the Badger State Convention uh, had and the school where I taught had as well. So. Mm-hmm. And if you ever get a chance, have him send some videos of him on stage in these youth things. They did trash can drumming, dancing. Yeah. It was phenomenal. He comes up out of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he's Oscar the Grouch or something. I don't know. <laughs> Can't do that now, but I mean. Uh, what about you, Nicole? When did you know? Um, I guess kind of just like you always know but I think like a defining moment for me was I was in second grade and I had a crush on somebody I told her she told my second grade teacher and my second grade teacher sat me down and told me that it was wrong and could send me to hell because girls need to so like So you were at a Christian school too. At a Christian school yeah. one here in the area and I'm still friends with my second grade teacher on Facebook it's not awkward at all (laughs) um but yeah like and it's it's like one of those things that you don't know 
it's wrong until you're told it's wrong. Right. Here I am just, you know, watching boys and girls pass notes back and forth, and I do the same, and then I get in trouble for it, and I get... At, like, second grade, my told me I was going to hell, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to go there. And so I was like, I just said this is wrong. But yeah. So I'll say with you, so talk about, okay, <clears throat> you're told there. You, you know you're different. You are told it's wrong. So then you live a lie from that point forward, essentially. What does that feel like? What does that look like? Trying to live... I don't know if it's living a lie or just trying, I'm going to try to fit into where I'm supposed to fit. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I mean, <clears throat> I don't think I ever lived a lie. I felt more isolated and lonely and condemned more than anything because I wasn't living out, I wasn't dating. I had made the decision to just be single. You know, not, you know, everyone was like, oh, that's so holy, like Paul. And I'm like, no, you don't understand what's going on here. Um, you know, and so I, I just felt alone a lot of times and just lived with this guilt and this shame and this condemnation. Like, I threw them all away at this point, but I had journal entry on journal entry of God, like just begging God to just take it away, change me, like, you know, and altar calls at conferences, like, there's someone here struggling with homosexuality. And in that moment, you're like, oh, my gosh, she's speaking to me. But it's such low-hanging fruit that she probably was speaking directly to a thousand people in that room. And so it's just very stressful, depressing, anxiety-inducing, because I never, like, I never lived a lie. I just suppressed everything. And dove, like he said, dove deeper into ministry not not only to distract myself, but to throw off suspicions. Right. Like if I am, th- like if I'm serving this much, and if I lead worship this good, nobody's gonna know. Like yeah. the flannel is not gonna give it away. <laughs> 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 Sorry, this uh, I, this is the first time I've spoken publicly about this, and Sorry. so I make jokes when I'm nervous. My heart rate is like at, I didn't even wear my Apple Watch because it would probably be telling me I was having a heart attack right now. So. Good. I'm glad we're all nervous because I'm nervous because this is so outside the box for all of us here tonight. And I know even everybody sitting out there, this is outside the box. So um, what about you, David? Um, I wouldn't say it was living a lie. I just wasn't living my truth. Um, And what I did was I suppressed it so much and I tried to throw everybody off so much in the church that, you know, I dated girls. Um, I was engaged to a girl. while I was in seminary, um, and I came out to her one month before our wedding um, because I could, I know, right? (laughs) But I was safe because she was saving herself for marriage, so I didn't have to even worry about anything like that because, you know, I was horrified about being with a woman because I wasn't attracted to women at all. But uh, whenever I told her about me, I was like, I can't do this to you. This is who I am. And she was the first one that I... Uh, come out to, and she threw the engagement ring at my face and said I was disgusting um, and walked away, which I don't, I guess I don't blame her, but um, that's when it started the uh, roller coaster of events of me coming out, but um, I can remember being on staff at my church, I had the keys to the church, and I would go to the church at night and, and turn on music and just 
march around the church praying and crying and begging God to take it away. And nothing worked. Well, I'll continue that with you because I know you did the, you went to conversion therapy, right? I took myself to conversion therapy. So nobody, so let me ask you this. So when you took yourself to conversion therapy, had you came out to anybody else? So so nobody knew and you're like, I'm going to get this fixed. I went. I went to conversion therapy, Exodus International, whenever I was in college. Um, nobody knew, um, but this was how much I wanted to get rid of this. Um, and the guy that was doing it, um, you know, back in the 90s, this dates me, but back in the 90s, you know, the AIDS epidemic was still a huge and prevalent thing of people dying uh, in the gay community. So he led the group. He said that he was dying of AIDS, and he basically scared all of us in that group, saying that, you know, if we live this lifestyle, then we are going to get AIDS and die too. Um, But of course, if you don't know, haven't seen the news, the founders of Exodus International have since come out and said that, you know, it does not work, people. Um, But that was how much and how bad I wanted to pray this thing away Mm. and get rid of it. And I tried everything. Yeah. I saw one of the founders, he said recently that... um, the conversion therapies that they did, 99% non-success rate. And then a year later, he came out and said, actually, it's 100% non-success rate. Mm. So, and that, that's pretty public knowledge, so it's not like we're, we're you know, making anything up here. Um, Nicole, when did you... <laughs> he came out to his fiance. <laughs> did you do better than that? or <laughs> Can you one-up that? <laughs> no. Um, I came out to... Uh, one of my one of my closest friends first, and I had um, known him for a long time, and he he actually is was in one of the ministries I led. He was like in the young adult ministry, and his theology was pretty liberal, and he actually pushed me to think and you know not quite yet deconstruct, but I came came out to him, and he was like, okay, cool. So what just, did you think of his liberal theology prior to that? Oh, one? my yes, God. Exactly, right? <laughs> like, creation's not literal. He's yeah. going to hell. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. I, I, it, I was like, I've got to fix him. Yeah. And then, like, now we talk all the time and just kind of joke about it. And he makes fun of me for feeling that way. But I came out to him while we were on a cruise together. And he was like, uh, so I should stop hitting on you? I was like, please, for the love yeah. of God, Joey, please stop uh, hitting on me. Poor Joey. Uh, and just to be clear to everybody here, I know this isn't a political thing. So she says liberal theology. If you're not familiar with that, we're not talking liberal politics. We're talking at a different way of reading the Bible versus leading at literal, like a seven-day creation versus a you know billion-year creation would be the liberal view of the Bible, just so we don't you know, necessarily pull so much politics into this. Um, what was it like? So I, I showed those various things like Kirk Cameron and, and um, John MacArthur. And I could have pulled, you know, the Rick Warrens, just, just the well-known people um, and, and kind of how they, you could even tell they kind of dance around it and not sure how to say it exactly. John MacArthur, I guess, was a little more straightforward. But, but you no doubt heard the annual 
gay sermon. And I, I, the reason I'm doing this right now is because I've had conversations with so many of, of our new members here, and the stories are so similar. And so by hearing these two stories, you're getting to hear a lot of stories um, here. And, and so I know a lot of times what pushes somebody over here at Refuge is, is they had the annual gay sermon at their church, and, and the person's finally like, I can't take it anymore. I've tried to be in a covenant relationship with this body. This is my church, but I just can't get beat up you know, twice a year in the sermon because of who I am. So um, what was it like, or did you hear that, you know, every so often? I mean, it wasn't an annual thing. It was more like a monthly (laughs) thing for me, Um, especially going to Southern Baptist Seminary where, you know, the two main things that they targeted during chapel uh, were abortion and homosexuals. So I'm sitting in chapel hearing this all the time. Um, And then, you know, it went from there to me. Uh, I was actually serving in a very large church, very well-known, who had since expanded across the country. Um, I won't say the name of it, but uh, I was friends with the founding pastor and actually graduated seminary with him, and he preached one sermon that said the church needs to be more inclusive. And so I made up an anonymous email account so I can email him thanking him for that sermon. He emailed me back, and he said... Uh, actually, you took that meaning wrong. Um, I didn't mean inclusive of homosexuals. I meant race, racial in- inclusivity. And then he said, and so we have counselors on staff at our church to help you come out of that lifestyle. And so after that, I was just like, you know what? I'm done. And I just walked away from church for a while. So, How long did you stay away from church? Several years. Several years. Yeah. What about you, Nicole, on that? Did you... When was kind of a, I don't know, yours is a different story, so mm-hmm. tell yours. So when you never really ever truly walked away, unless it was, I'm not familiar. No, I, I never stopped going to church. I kind of had ebbs and flows of my serving in ministry, but that wasn't necessarily because of being gay and in the closet. There was, you know, a lot of other church church things going on that made me not want to. So I was like, I need a break. I'm burnt out. But I never really stopped serving in church. You know, even if I wasn't leading a ministry, I was playing worship with my mom or filling in at different churches who needed a guitar player or what what have you. And I actually, as I'm deconstructing and and figuring out coming out of the closet in 2019, I, that's when I actually accepted the position as worship pastor at the church in Ohio. So I like really never stopped. Like I just because I loved the Lord so much. Like I was like I you know had started to come out to people in my life and and had made the decision like okay this had gotten to the point in my like. Uh, I guess deconstruction where I was like, okay, this, I can be gay, but if I want to continue to serve in church, I need to remain celibate. I need to remain single. And I can do that. I've been doing that for 30 years. Like no problem. I don't need kids. I don't need a spouse. I don't need any of that. And so that's the mindset that I moved to Ohio with. Like I could go be in Ohio and be single and, and, you know, work through this. And I just, the more that I, 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 sought God on it, the more, the less I believed those things. Right. So I was still deconstructing and coming out of the closet all while serving as a, as a 
uh, worship pastor in a very conservative, right. a very biblically conservative, yes, church. yes, biblically yeah. conservative, borderline homophobic right. area. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, any particular hurtful experiences? <laughs> the, I mean, I know there's a lot. Yeah. Um, I came out to a teacher friend of mine at this uh, Christian school um, and in confidence um, and she outed me to my cousin um, who then threatened to do church discipline on me and my cousin was more like my brother at the time so he threatened to bring me before the church that um, I helped start and do church discipline on me um, and threatened to out me to our grandmother at the time and then that teacher friend of mine went to the administration of the school where I was teaching outed me to them they fired me Um, the administration went to the Baptist State Convention and outed me to them Um, my boss there approached me and I guess this is where living a lie comes in because she asked Mm me um, if I was gay and I told her that I struggled with it um, because that's how you got by with having it you just struggle with it but you don't live the lifestyle so I was able to continue doing ministry uh, in the Baptist State Convention for many years because of that. Um, but the more that I would come out to people that I trusted, the more I got hurt. Mm. Um, and so I just basically just kind of stopped coming out to people um, because it, it did not go well at all with my mom. It didn't go well with my dad. Um, it didn't go well with my sister at the time. Um, I love my parents. My parents are the best parents in the world. but. You know, I, I don't fault them for their initial response because of how they were raised and how, you know, how we grew up in church. Um, they didn't kick me out, um, but you know, they just didn't know how to navigate through those waters. But I did have some people who were very close to me who did hurt me yeah. uh, very bad. So, I'll, I have this later on in a question, but it brought it. Your, so your parents came here about a month ago. Yeah. So they're obviously at a different spot now. Yep. Tell me kind of maybe how that has progressed or where they're at now. Um, when I first came out to mom, you know, she said, this was years ago, uh, whenever I, she said, I have to know why she left you, why the wedding is off. So I told her that I struggle with it. And at the time she said, that's not, that's not who you are. You're not going to tell your father um, and wait till your grandmother dies, basically. <laughs> and so I was like, great. And so I didn't tell my dad for years, and it wasn't until four years ago, I think, I told him through a letter. That didn't go well. You told um, your dad through a letter? Yeah, um, just because I was afraid of his response. And I kept hearing people say, just give them time. And I, I'm very close with my parents, and I love my parents, but it was a year and a half ago. Uh, Adrian and I were already married, um, and they had met him. And I flew home to surprise my dad because he was being baptized. And he told me, at, he told me after he got baptized, he said, son, he said, I was mowing the grass not too long ago, and God literally spoke to me and said, do you love your son? And he said, of course I love my son. And he said, well, you're going to have to let this go. And then he said, it was not, but just a few weeks later, he was having his prayer time by his bed, and he said, God spoke to him again and said, do you love your son? 
said, yeah, I love my son. And he said, then you need to accept him and Adrian and love them both. And he said, and I love you both. And Adrian is like my son too. And I, I just cried. I was like, that's the best news I have ever heard in my life. And my parents were here a couple weeks ago, and they said it was the best vacation they've ever been on in their <laughs> life. Um, they're so excited because they're going to be grandparents again when we have our kid. And, you know, they FaceTime us every day. So they're at a, my whole family is at a completely different place than what they were a few years ago. And even my grandmother, 95-year-old grandmother, she knows. And, and she's completely fine with it, too. So it's just a completely freeing thing to be able to have my husband go with me back to North Carolina and have my family come here. And, um, so it's, it's been a, a wild ride, though. We'll stay on the family thing. Yours is tougher because mom is <clears throat> Yeah, my mom was here. great. My mom was fantastic. <laughs> she's, she's a champion. So what was it she, like coming out to your... She struggled um, a great deal. And I, I don't know if, if it's clear to everyone, but like we struggle too, especially with our belief systems, is that if, if we're so wrong about this, what else are, are we wrong about? Like, I, I had instances where I was like, is God even real? And I'm a worship pastor, and I'm leading people in worship, and I'm for a month struggling with, like, well, is, is this true? Is this real? Is this just, like, one big cult? And I, like, was wrestling with these things. And so when, you know, as my mom and I are working through it together, it, it fractured our relationship for a little while. And it, it's really hard because my mom, there, like, there's nobody in this world that I'm closer to than my mom. So to not have her support in that season was difficult. But, you know, and I'm, I'm very, very blessed and very lucky because she walked through it with me. And, and I, if it came down where she disagreed with me, she was still going to love me, but she had kind of a moment like his dad had where she was sitting in church and the Lord spoke to her and said, let it go. <laughs> let, it, let it go. Because what I, what I feel when I watch videos like this and I hear people say things like they should be lined up and executed or you know, even as ma as conservative as, as Kirk Cameron was, like I sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. And these things we need to work through is that we're human beings. Like we we're we're people. We're we're walking through stuff. Like coming out of the closet was wasn't just like, hey, I'm I'm here. I'm gay. Like let's rock and roll. It was a crisis of faith. A crisis right. of of um, rejection, you know, and while my mom never rejected me, having her, having our relationship splintered like that was, was really, really tough, especially because I was in Ohio working in healthcare through a pandemic and away from family and away from friends and in a very unsafe environment. And, and it was, it's, it's difficult. And, and um, my, but now my mom is like, She calls my son her grandson. She, you know, she takes care of my partner like she's her daughter. And the way that my mom has grown in her faith and grown in her acceptance. I mean, she even likes David and Adrian more than me. 
<laughs> and you're laughing because you know it's true. I was, was going to follow up with that, but I'm glad you said it. And Zeke and Cody and Brandy and, and Jeff, all of them better than me. But, um, I, yeah, and, but, you know, and I, I also feel fortunate is that I, I haven't had a lot of hurtful experiences. Like, my sister is, is a very, is, she's a very type A personality, so her, her religious beliefs, you know, it's hard to tell what she's, she's going to say. And I, Thanksgiving, the year after I moved home, I was like, okay, I'm like typing myself up. I'm talking to my mom. I was like, okay, so I'm going to say X, Y, and Z. I had this 30-minute speech prepared as to why it's okay. And I was like, Leslie, I'm gay. And she's like, okay. <laughs> can we go to bed? <laughs> and I was like, pet's it? She's like, do you want me to say more? And I was like, well, I was expecting more. And she's like, you're my sister and I love you. And she hugged me and she said, can we go to bed now? Wow. So that, and then I think also what helped my mom was my brother is he said something to the effect to my mom is that if, if God was to send me to hell, that he would rather go to hell with me than spend eternity with a God who would send me to hell because of how much I just loved the Lord, how much I sought after him, how dedicated I was to, to just loving people and loving God, that, that if being gay was going to send me to hell, my brother was on my side, even in the face of God yeah. Almighty. Yeah. That's why the, a lot of us, both of your stories, there was transformation in the people that were closest to you, people who truly loved you. And I think we see that a lot. As I've learned all the stories of a lot of people in this church, that the people around them, it's a slow transformation sometimes, but they are transformed because they know you, they know your love for Jesus, they know your, they just know you. And so I think a lot of us uh, either will be transformed, and we, we had one view, and we said it's a sin, and you know we need to, to do something about those people or whatever, or maybe we're just apathetic and say, it's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Or there's people like me. I was affirming for a long time, but in the church, that is not a popular stance to take, and so I just stayed quiet about it and said, I, you know, I will have conversations, but we won't ever do it publicly. And until two years ago, too many people that I loved, now I'm close to it and said, you know, I can't just stay silent about this and be like, that's their problem, not mine. That, no, this is a problem for all of us and something we need to deal with. And so that was my closeness to it, was just being able to be more of an offender and a partner with the gay community. And, I mean, two years ago, that was the hardest sermon Mm -hmm. I ever preached. And and this is a hard night tonight because I know there are people in the room that that are just not okay with this conversation. But I've hoped for the last year with you guys being here, as people get to know you and get to know Brandy and Jess and all the other people who have came through this church, that they start to build those relationships and can start having that transformation that your families and so forth have had. So it's a good transition. Why did you both show up here at Refuge? Um, I had, I finally found uh, an affirming church in Raleigh um, that I was going to develop a good relationship with the pastor. And it just felt good finally to be me, my authentic self, um, But my best friend told me, he said, in order for you to be you 100% of the time, he said, given your background as a principal of a large school in Raleigh and um, being known across the state of North Carolina in the Baptist State Convention, he said, 
you're going to have to move to a different state. And I was like, I know everybody, and I don't know anybody anywhere else. And so I visited the Keys, and I loved it. I loved Florida, so uh, I got a job as a principal in Florida. But then I met my amazing husband here, and when we were talking, I told him, I said, I have to find the church. Like, I, I want to worship with people. And I just, he said, I will go wherever you go. And, I mean, that's how amazing he is. Um, so I just Googled gay churches in Fort Myers. And, then, uh, <laughs> and that's how uh, I found refuge. And I think uh, the best decision I've ever made, for one thing, is asking my husband to marry me and getting married to him. And the next one is finding refuge uh-huh. and finding this church family and being able to actually serve again. Because I was told it by a mentor of mine, he said, if you're going to be out, if you're going to be gay, you're, you're no longer able to be a minister. And so I stopped uh, for a long time. And I, I remember telling you, I'm like, I want to serve. Like, I want to use the gifts that God has given me uh, to serve, and I'll do whatever. Don't make me sing, though, but I'll do <laughs> whatever other than that. And so that's how we found it. How about you, Nicole? My mom made me come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk I, about coming full circle, right? I know. <laughs> well, she, I think, I don't know if it was out of desperation. Hopefully she gets to tell her story one day and you can hear the truth, I guess. I don't know. But I had moved home and I didn't want to go back to church. Yeah. I had... I was in such an unsafe place where I was that I didn't really believe that there could be a safe place for me. And I even visited some churches in the area and just I didn't feel comfortable being my authentic self. And I know everybody in Fort Myers. So finding a space where people weren't like whispering and and talking and I just I didn't want to come to church. And I I'm glad you made mention of Brandy is that if if she wouldn't have been serving, I don't know that I would have stuck around yeah. because churches say, yeah, everybody's welcome. Everybody can come, but you got to stay on that side of the curtain until you get yourself sorted out. And so seeing Brandy like be here and be safe, it was, it spoke a lot, a lot, a lot more to the sermon that you preach. You didn't just say we're affirming as like we're affirming and we're letting people serve. We're letting people do what God has called them to do. Yeah. And, yeah, speaking of Brandy, I mean, I call her Bestie now, but um, she was the first person that I met when we came here the first time, and and she said, and this is my wife, Jess. I was like, D- excuse me? <laughs> because the first person I meet in refuge is a gay lady, and she's married, and I'm here with my husband, and I'm just like, this is awesome so far. <laughs> and then Brian came up and talked to us, and he actually knew Adrian, and I told I told Adrian after that, I said, I think this is home. Yeah. Yeah, I remember getting your email that very next, his long, he emails longer <laughs> emails than me, which nobody does. So props to you. And Nicole, you said, let you serve. I think you got that wrong because the first time I met you, I shook your hand. I said, is that a music <laughs> no. note? Can you play in our band tomorrow? <laughs> that, that is exactly how it went. Like, and I was still wearing a mask. I just wanted to be just like a faceless person in the crowd. And he grabbed my right hand and he's like, come in. Like, come to the dark side. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I think even Brandy will tell you when we went to coffee, I sat there, cross legs, arms crossed. I was like, yeah. 
Yeah, you were hard to open up the first couple times we got together. You were a tough nut to crack because you had that mask up, and you're like, I'm not going to be hurt again. And you just kind of put that wall up and slowly pried you open a little bit. Well, it's like I said, it's that people say you're safe here, you're welcome here, but it, like, I, where I was in Ohio, I loved that church and I loved the people there. But as much as they said people were welcome, it was like it seemed like like I when when you're in the closet you don't bring up anything you don't bring up politics you don't bring up gay people you're not like you don't even talk about Noah and the rainbow like you just <laughs> you stay as far away from it as you can because you don't want someone to be like oh oh mm-hmm. it's you mm-hmm. and so but it seemed like every time I got into the room with the, this pastor and his family something derogatory would get said yeah. and it. And I even told my mom before I moved home, I was like, I'm not safe here. This isn't a safe place. And um, I, I forgot where I was going with that. I just, well, <laughs> just... And I know about that derogatory stuff being said because every time I get together with other pastors, which stopped happening two years ago, lo and behold, but used to, they would assume we were on the same page. So they would make those comments to me about the gay community. Like I was on team gay hate at that point in time. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I'll I'll finish with one question for each of you. It's been a difficult story, a difficult journey, but God has been within the story. No different than the story of Ruth. His hand is on every single moment within that story. The bitterness, the loneliness, the trials, how has God, how have you seen God in your stories? Uh, he has been the only constant through the whole uh, journey um, because, you know, people hurt people and, you know, people will say things to say hurtful things to you. Um, people who you love uh, will hurt you too. And the only constant has been my relationship with Jesus. And he's always been there. Um, I've always turned to him, even though I was pissed at him at some times for having to go through some of these things, for losing people in my life that I cared about. Um, I could still see him in the story somewhere, even whenever I walked away from church for a few years. Um, he was still ministering to me. Um, I, I know you don't like Christian music as much as I do, <laughs> but I absolutely love uh, Christian music because I think it just opens another window to my soul and I just hear him speak to me through it so much. Um, I send Betty Christian songs all the time because of how much they, they mean to me. But um, he has shown up in so many powerful ways through all of this. And he has blessed me. And I count all the blessings that he has given me. And now he has given me an amazing man. And we're going to have kids this year. And uh, amazing church family and amazing family back home who love and support us now, and he awesome. and I've seen him work in all of that awesome. and change people's hearts. Nicole? Um, I just, you, you, you don't always, I didn't always feel like he was there, especially in those moments where you're, you're journaling and you're trying to pray it away and you're, and you're like, well, if you can't do this little thing, if you can't do this simple thing, like, who are you? Like, you're not as big and as strong as they said. And I just, I, the song we're going to close with is one of my favorite songs right now. And the, the bridge, it says, when I was hopeless, every time I was broken, every word that was spoken, Jesus, your love was there. And in the trial, 
You were my strength and provider. You were my friend in the fire. Like, that's, that's just been my journey is that, like, even when my mom and my relationship was fractured, even when I felt alone in Ohio, even when, like, those just derogatory things would get said because they thought that I was... On their team. They yeah. thought that I was on team straight and <laughs> I was actually on the softball team. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> but I, I see God working in every step of the way and I actually had a moment in Ohio where I was questioning if God was real, if God was powerful. I was even questioning what I was doing in ministry and I just... The song Waymaker was playing, and I just sat down in the corner of the sanctuary, and I just felt just a, I don't know how spiritual you guys, but I felt just like this, this enclosure around me, and God said, I have got you. I am here, and I love you, and you are doing exactly what I want you to do, and I just, you see, I see God's fingerprints on every part of my story, and then coming out, I felt I felt more anointed, like I felt God's anointing more. I felt more free in it because I started being the image bearer of God and walking in his image and doing what he called me to do. And like like David, you know, you start being faithful and being your authentic self. And God, you know, he brings things into your life, like my partner and my child, like things that I thought that I was going to have to live without. Yeah. He just is faithful. Yeah. I don't know where to go from here other than to pray. So I'm going to pray for these guys. I'm going to ask the band to come up so that we can worship together as we close. But I just want to pray for these two tonight. If you pray with me. Father God, we just thank you for the beauty of your story that all of our stories in this room converged on this night and this evening. And so, God, I don't know who needed to hear these stories, or maybe it was just therapeutic for these guys to tell their stories. But I thank you for holding on to them. That they were the one lost sheep, and you left the 99 to go find them. And to bring them back into a fold with other sheep that are safe. And God, I just thank you for their partnership with me in this ministry. The burden they've relieved for me. And so I pray for the future of this church. That we will be taught your word by people that are passionate about your word and about your love and about your grace and about your mercy. God, we thank you for their families who have had a long, difficult journey as well as they've tried to navigate this course. We thank you for bringing the families around. God, you are great. And you are good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand as we sing?